This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah, closing out part one with chapters 11 and 12. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west. And together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, your anger has turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Emmaus Church. Uh, for all of you guys who are here in person and those uh, joining us online, just want to welcome you uh, to Emmaus, whether this is the first time or the thousandth time you've been with us. Uh, it is good to be back with you all after celebrating Christmas with my family in Oklahoma and Texas. Um, and I hope you guys also had a good Christmas as well. As we uh, continue this morning, we are wrapping up our series in Isaiah, at least the, the first part 
of our series in Isaiah after spending uh, four weeks in Advent. And so, you know, the goal of that series was hopefully for all of us to see uh, more hope and joy and peace and love found in Christ in this season. Um, and, and so as we finish up that series and we finish up the series in Isaiah, uh, looking forward to a new series in January, I just wanna say that uh, this morning is really kind of uh, a continuation of Advent in a sense. This is a pretty Adventy passage, and so it kind of is wrapping up that season uh, and our series together in one. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be with you guys as we do that, as we wrap those, those seasons up together. Um, and as we conclude this series, the part one that we've called Our Image Problem, I want to call attention to something that I think we might all be feeling right now in the season. So you all tend to associate this time uh, between Christmas and New Year's as a time to reflect, a time to, to have resolutions, to resolute. A lot of us take time at the end of the year to think back on this past year, what we loved, what we could have done without, or how much we did or didn't exercise. Uh, if you tuned into the live stream a couple weeks ago, you know the answer to that one for Aaron. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> it is a time of looking back and looking forward. We ask ourselves what we wanna do differently next year. So we start to compile a list of things we wanna change or achieve, as we tend to do here in America. And I point all this out because I think that this year especially, we're looking at 2021 a little starry-eyed. I'm willing to bet there are some of us who have laid awake at night, hoping that 2021 would come a little early. And I'd be lying if I hadn't done that myself. <laughs> and I was just thinking about that, I was thinking about this pattern that we fall into every year, this time of year, question came to my mind. Why do we do this? Why do we spend this time thinking about what we want to be different, only to, statistically speaking, stay the same? <laughs> I was doing some little research when I was thinking about that, and I found a study that said that 8% of people they studied actually accomplished the resolutions, and 30% of those people stopped uh, after one month which is shockingly low, or maybe not so <laughs> shocking, if we look at that for ourselves. But I wanna ask, like, what is underneath all of that? What is underneath our planning and our dreaming and our goal achieving? What is our motivation to suddenly desire all of that kind of change in our lives at the end of a year? And I wanna give you my take on it. It's that we desire to gain what we don't have. It's pretty simple, but I think that goes pretty deep. We look back at 2020 and we think about all the things that it stole from us. Think about our goals, our security, our happiness, our plans, and what it gave us instead doesn't seem that great for a lot of us. We had a global pandemic, in case you didn't know, uh, which provided us job loss, uh, poor health, unexpected expenses, um, strain on our relationships, not to mention um, the social unrest with the racial injustice that's happened in our country this year, uh, a crazy election, <laughs> even turbulence and change in our own community here at Emmaus. The list goes on, but I think we have to stop and admit 
that we make resolutions for 2021 because we wanna take back our joy, our peace, our security, fill in the blank, but we wanna take back our lives. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that goals or improvement, personal growth are bad. I have my own list, but I want us to pause and think about and question our motives. So I have a question for us today. One question, and it's this. What are we trying to gain that we don't already have in Jesus? That's it. What are we trying to gain that we don't already have in Jesus? And I'm thankful that God has us here in Isaiah, has us here wrapping up this first part of Isaiah in chapters 11 and 12, because I think that Jesus gives us the best answer to that question that's been stirring in my heart. And it's fitting that this question has been stirring there, has been studying. And we're here to look at this passage in a time when we have a great opportunity to reflect and resolute at the end of a difficult year. So this morning, before we jump into the passage, I just wanna, want us to pray, to ask the Spirit to work in us this morning as we submit ourselves to this passage, to the scripture, to God's word as we wrestle with this question together. So let's pray. God, we just, we wanna acknowledge your presence in this room, your presence in the rooms, those joining us online. God, that you are with us, that we spent the last four weeks talking about how you dwell with us. And Jesus, we want more of you. We want to acknowledge that presence more. We need it more than ever, it feels like. So I, I just, Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Go before my words. Work in spite of my words this morning to draw us to your word, to let it be a mirror that we can hold up in front of us and see where we need the beauty of your gospel to transform our hearts this morning. We ask for that. God, I'm pleading for that. Jesus, we, we ask these things for your intercession by your name. Amen. So to give some context where we're going uh, in chapters 11 and 12, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Isaiah, I wanted to look back at the end of chapter 10. Um, so look at this last statement that God makes to Israel, verses 33 through 34. This is where we left off. Verse 33, it says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great and height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So yeah, God just told him that the judgment is like an axe that can level an entire forest down to stumps. And that's kind of where we left off <laughs> before Advent. Uh, so, so far in Isaiah, we've, we've been kind of given this picture of God's wrath and his judgment for Israel because of their disobedience, because of their lack of producing fruit consistent with everything God has given them as his people. And it's been Isaiah's duty thus far to tell them about this coming exile. But there's something else in Isaiah, something else 
in this passage that we get a glimpse at in this message of Isaiah to his people. And there's a great example of it here in chapter 11, verse one. Verse one, it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In case you forgot, or maybe you didn't know, Jesse is the father of King David. And when we see a reference anywhere in scripture about the family, the line of David, this is messianic. It's talking about the Messiah. The first 17 verses of the New Testament in Matthew are the family tree that bring us from Adam to David to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we can read this first verse without a doubt, know that everything that is about to be said in this chapter is about Jesus. This is about the Messiah. I think that's pretty cool. In the midst of God's wrath and destruction, we see a glimmer of hope in this one called the Messiah. And the reason I'm taking such a big pause here is because this verse packs a huge punch in this section, and it paints for us this picture that we find over and over again in Isaiah and the prophets. Is there a lot of stuff in Isaiah about God's wrath and his disappointment in Israel? Yeah. (laughs) And our next section, uh, which I know Aaron is really excited to preach, has a lot of that in there. (laughs) But we get glimpses like this, this imagery of a shoot coming out of a stump. We get the sense that there is a refinement to the fire of God. That his goal, ultimately, is redemption. In the midst of our inability to produce fruit, there's a glimpse of one who can. So remember our question. What are we trying to gain that we don't already have in Jesus, in this Messiah that's coming? Let's keep reading and see what Jesus actually has. <laughs> because it seems like when we look back, what we've covered so far in Isaiah, and we get to this, we're getting a sense that clearly he has something that we don't. So let's jump in, starting in verse two. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Talking about Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah Isaiah tells us that when the Messiah comes, he's receiving the spirit. And he lists out some of the attributes of this possession of the spirit. He talks about wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And we could try to parse this list out and I could give you the 12 steps of how to gain these things <laughs> or whatever people do. But I think this list, like a lot of lists in scripture, is not meant to be exhaustive. These aren't the only things that the Spirit has bestowed upon Christ. But it paints a picture of the significance of the power that the Spirit has given the Messiah. And I look at this list and I think, wow, these are all things that we long for. How many of us this year have longed for the wisdom and the knowledge and counsel to navigate everything that 2020 has thrown at us? How many of us have desired the strength, might, to overcome all those things? And we look at this and we read this and we see that spirit, those attributes resting 
on Christ and we say, he has something we desire, clearly. But what does Jesus do with these gifts that he's been given? It shows us in verse three. It says, in his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. He uses the spirit to rule his kingdom, to serve the one who bestowed this gift upon him. Jesus, in obedience to the Father, is ruling over his inheritance with wisdom and knowledge and counsel and might. And he has come to judge. This is what the Messiah has come to do. But he's not concerned with our outward achievements, the thing that we clamor and make lists for year after year. He's concerned with the condition of our hearts. Revelation shows us a picture of Jesus returning with a sword coming from his mouth and fire in his eyes. The branch springing forth from the stump is not a delicate branch. It is a mighty one. The Messiah comes, the spirit of might. When Jesus comes to judge, it will be in righteousness. But these verses, they bring you back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus tells us in Matthew, the meek will inherit the earth. He tells us the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. These are the people Jesus is gathering for his kingdom. The conditions of the heart that he sees in his people that are of his kingdom. Emmaus, Jesus came to us. We talked, we spent a month talking about that. He took on flesh that we could receive the spirit of the Lord from the Father. The spirit that God has bestowed on his son is bestowed on us in Christ. The kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit because only the poor are in need. If we were already rich in the spirit, we wouldn't be longing for wisdom and knowledge and counsel and might. We would already be wise. We would already be mighty. We would already be righteous. Amen. What are we trying to gain that we don't already have in Jesus? Jesus tells us, if you are empty, if you have nothing to gain, he will fill you up. The same spirit that rests upon Christ will rest upon you. Christ's reign rests upon us right now. What Jesus has is what we desperately need and how ironic is it that we chase so feverishly after such momentary things. What Isaiah is telling Israel here is something we should be paying attention to. When the Messiah comes, he isn't coming for the religious or the powerful or the proud. He's coming for the desperate and the needy and the humble. So what are we trying to gain if we don't already have in Jesus? 
If you've been given this gift of the Spirit, if our King, our ruler, is coming to bestow on us something so great as the Spirit, then why are we still trying to get ahead year after year? I think we can cognitively say that we can get behind Jesus being our source for these things that we are longing for. But we don't always live that out so well. I know I don't. So we end up looking to things that are less, the things that feel tangible, that we can reach out, that we feel like we can actually achieve. Even though, kind of already established, statistically, we don't really achieve them. (laughs) At least a lot of them. We still need convincing. But I I wanna explore what actually happens when Christ reigns with this power of the Spirit. What, what is the outcome of that? What are we gaining from that in Christ? Isaiah tells us in verse six, it says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's a pretty crazy picture, right? Not only are predators and prey broing it out, they are stable enough for a child to lead them like a dog on a leash, unless we're talking about Abe. <laughs> Not only that, but people are letting their kids play with venomous snakes. Uh, how many, like, I was reading that, and I was picturing this. How many of you were picturing the old Disney cartoon where Hercules, little baby Hercules, like, has the snakes, and he's like, twirls them into space? <laughs> like, that is the picture that I am getting here. This scene seems nuts and kind of cartoonish, but it is the reality of what Christ is accomplishing in his reign as king right now. Christ's reign resting on us as a reign of restoration. This is what it looks like to have peace that surpasses all understanding. There's nothing, Emmaus, there is no one who can produce the kind of peace, the kind of reign that these verses picture outside of Christ. There's no revolution, there's no movement, there's no person or preacher or president, no power or dominion that can bring this kind of supernatural peace to our lives. How unfair of us is it to look to those things and expect them to do this. It's impossible outside of Jesus. His reign is restoration of creation itself. Beasts and cattle no longer affected by the condition of the fallen world. Men no longer seeking to hurt or destroy each other. How impossible does that feel in a year like 2020. 
Isaiah shows Israel when the Messiah comes to establish his kingdom, it will be with this kind of peace and restoration that no one else could accomplish. And this applies to what we're trying to gain, right? We wanna gain for ourselves lasting peace and security, and if we're being honest, a little bit of prestige. But Isaiah is saying Jesus rules. His rule gives us access to this peace, the supernatural, that outlasts the momentary things on our lists. And it's easy to see all this and to think that there's something, this is something we have to wait for. There aren't literally wolves and lambs hanging out right now. <laughs> At least not like that. We just spent four weeks talking about waiting for Christ's return, hoping and having joy and peace and love in that return and that waiting. And maybe you feel like it's already a lot to ask to even get to a place of Christ's reign resting over you. That could be enough. But now we have to actually wait for those things to come true. As crazy as those verses sound, this is our present reality. Emmaus, you have access to this level of peace right now. This restoration is happening as we speak. Yes, there is a day when our faith will be sight and wolves will literally lie down with the lambs. But the spirit of peace that will make that reality is in you right now. The same spirit that gives Jesus the wisdom and the knowledge and counsel and might and fear of the Lord to rule and judge in righteousness is working towards his wolf and lamb reality right now. What are you trying to gain that you don't already have in Jesus? And are those things starting to feel small yet? But let's take this one step further. How do we know that Christ's reign rests on us and is restoring us right now? It's one thing to read this and for me to say these things to you. But what does this passage show us? How can we know this to be true? Look at verse 10. It says, In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. He stands as a signal and his resting place shall be glorious. The cross and the grave he overcame. For anyone else to be hung on a cross, bloodied and broken and mocked, would be shameful. To be laid in a borrowed tomb, embarrassing. But the death of Jesus was his glory because it did not defeat him. Church, we can be sure that this branch from the stump of Jesse, because he has done what we never could. When we were slaves to our shame, to death, and we clamor to rise above it, Christ defeated it. He left it 
in the grave. And all those who are of his kingdom, we share in that victory. He is gathering his people to himself. And though we desire to gain the lesser things of this world that would lead us to be scattered from our king, God in his sovereignty is gathering his people back underneath the signal, the banner of the cross. And when we've been gathered to partake in this victory with Jesus, there's nothing that can stand between us and our king. Look again, verse 16, skipping ahead a little bit. He says, there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people and there, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This whole section from verse 12 to 16 is, is about Jesus gathering his people to himself. Hear this, there is nothing, nothing you could gain that you don't already have in Jesus. Nothing to gain that he has not already given you in his spirit. Nothing you could gain that is more satisfying than the kind of peace and restoration the rule of Christ over you is bringing about right now. No other way to the Father. No path that could be straighter than the way that he is making for you. There will be a highway. If you are in Jesus today and he is your king by faith, then his spirit now rests upon you. You are being redeemed and restored into a new creation as we speak. There's nothing on our list of resolutions that could ever accomplished that, but Jesus in his work displayed on the cross, the signal to all the nations. We can know that these things are happening right now because on the cross, Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. His inauguration of his ruling and reign made known. So if we can truly wrap our minds around the fact that we have nothing left to gain, on our own. What do we say? How do we respond to the resting of his spirit on us and the restoration of our hearts and of his creation? Chapter 12. Verse one, it says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Amen. We give thanks. We rejoice. That is our response. Though God would fell us like the forest of chapter 10, we can rest in his promises of chapter 11. And the refining of God who is gathering us even when we have strayed so far. Isaiah tells us now, we respond to the God of promises with rejoicing. Which is great. But how many of us find ourselves looking back at this year and we feel the need to rejoice <laughs> from what we experienced? It's not always easy to rejoice. It's not our natural response. 
in a fallen world. To rejoice and recognize God's hand at work, not our own. To admit that we even need him. A pastor from the time of the Puritans said this about rejoicing. He said, no duty is more pressed in both testaments than this, of rejoicing in the Lord. It is no less a sin not to rejoice than not to repent. It's a pretty bold statement, uh, but I think what he's getting at here is we aren't called to rejoice when it feels easy or natural or obvious. It's a command of God to his people as our king that we are to rejoice in what he has done, what he's doing. To not rejoice is to not believe that God has done anything for you worth rejoicing in. So what does it look like to rejoice? Because clearly we should be. (laughs) That's what it says. Let chapter 12 be our guide. Verse two, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song has become my salvation. With joy I will draw water from the wells of salvation. To trust God. That he has gained for us what we couldn't. Not only that, but we find joy in letting go of our way of our list. He has wells of salvation. I can't help but think that, think of Jesus and the women at the well in John 4. He's telling her about this well that won't run dry, this well that contains living water that will satisfy. How many of us dip our toes into that well only to run to wells that run dry when we should be diving in head first. Wouldn't our story be better at the end of 2021 if we were able to look back and say, there is no way I could have accomplished anything this year myself, but the Lord was my strength, that Jesus was my song worth singing, worth praising, that he was my salvation. I didn't get through it because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, but I let his hand, the hand that was once turned against me, gather me to him. My salvation. If we're able to rejoice in what Christ has done, Isaiah tells us the outcome. In verse four, he says, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in the midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. If we can answer our question today by saying everything we are trying to gain is found in Jesus, if we can testify to that truth, and Isaiah is saying true rejoicing leads to resounding. We can't help but worship. We can't help but tell others about who we worship and what he has done. 
Emmaus, if you have a hard time worshiping. Might get in trouble for saying this, but if the gathering of believers is not important to you, it might be because you don't know how to rejoice what God has done. It might be because the Lord isn't your strength. He isn't your song. He isn't your salvation. It's the things that you believe you can accomplish, that you can gain outside of Christ. Let me ask another question then. What would happen if your only resolution this year was to rejoice more? To rejoice what Christ has already gained for you? What would that change? What would that do to our hearts? Would the gospel become more beautiful? Would you try to gain less on your own and rest more in his spirit? Who would be the hero of your story in 2021? Would you get credit? Would Christ? Today, if you have faith in what Jesus has already accomplished for you, know that his spirit rests upon you right now. You have access to his wisdom, to his counsel, to his strength, to his righteousness. You don't need to rely on your own. We have access to the peace and the power that can cause the wolf and the lamb to lay together in harmony. What are we trying to gain that is better than that? Can we be honest with ourselves? One day our health will fade. Your body will fail you if it hasn't already. Financial security is only secure until something out of our control disrupts it. A relationship, they will only make us whole until they hurt us. There isn't anything you could gain or change that is better than what Christ is offering us in his rule, in his reign, in his spirit. You can respond with rejoicing because you can trust that what he accomplished on the cross has gained you everything, everything ascribed to him. When God looks at you and everything you scramble to gain, he sees his son. He sees Christ, who is perfect, who is reigning in righteousness, who is gathering his beloved, his kingdom to himself. That's who he sees. I had a friend tell me recently, there's nothing that I could gain, nothing that I could do nothing that can make me more worthy and look more than I want in the eyes of Christ. I already have that in the Father. You already have worth, the worth of Christ in the Father's eyes. You can't gain that on your own. That's only found in Jesus. So today, if you've never truly believed these things, Christ 
is gathering all who would come to him who are poor, who would receive the living water drawn from the wells of his salvation. So no matter where you're at, in that process, could we all rejoice? Could we honestly rejoice, have joy in the reign of Christ today? Knowing that all that we grasp that is found and fulfilled in Christ. That though we would be left to be a stump felled in a forest, there is a branch who produces fruit. The shoot of Jesse. Could we rest in that today? Let's pray.